including another death behind bars. The Bureau of Prisons has launched an investigation into an inmate who died inside the high-security federal prison in Beaumont following a fight Sunday morning. It started with just two inmates. 35-year-old Eric Germain Lede was taken to the hospital where he died. A second inmate was treated for minor injuries at the prison. Now, no staff or other inmates were hurt. We do know that the FBI was notified. Now, Lede was there serving a roughly three-year sentence out of North Texas after being convicted of receiving firearms while being under felony indictment. This follows the fight, remember, in late January that ended with two inmates dead and resulted in a nationwide prison lockdown. Seven. the truth welcome back everybody the thomas free me tv and podcast show this is thomas free me this is my halloween show man i put up a little you know pumpkin up on the you know so i hope you guys appreciate the little thing that i i got going on man you know happy halloween you guys stay safe stay blessed guard your children and uh you know let them have fun let them run around have fun we need that we need that as children we need to to, to just get out and have fun and and not worry about things for a little while. So uh, do your best as as a mom and a dad to, you know, give this for the kids. We need it. So, but, but be safe in doing that. As you saw, Beaumont, bloody Beaumont as, as what it's called, um, two deaths already this year. And there has been multiple deaths within this institution. This institution opened in 1998. It is a federal complex which means that it's it's multiple prisons within one. Um, it is a federal institution that houses federal inmates. Uh, each each institution within the complex houses a roughly twenty five hundred people, two thousand people. They like to say about sixteen hundred, but that's because of the the two man in the cell policy. So they have to keep those numbers down because it's illegal to store three men in a cell, even though that they do it. I'm going to share these experiences with you. You know, I don't really uh, like like talking about these experiences, but I guess what really led me into tonight's show is I was bored today, right? And I put on a TV. You know, I said, you know what? This TV hasn't been on in a long time. I said, let me put on the TV and, and try to find something to watch out of all this garbage, right? So I open up Hulu. And yes, I'm putting Hulu on blast. I opened up Hulu and miraculously, Hulu offers me a prison show, gang show, Gangland. Uh, The title of it was The Aryan Brotherhood. Now, I have spent time around a lot of these individuals. Um, Me, myself, as I was inside, I was what was known as an independent. I did not join any gangs for security purposes or, or anything of that like. Um, didn't get involved in religious cults. You know, you get these religious cults that form in prison for security blankets and things of that nature. I was just me walking my path, doing my time. I mean, I, I got through maybe five minutes of this show. It just It's just so disgustingly stupid. So disgustingly stupid. It's so wrong. It's so off basis. And it's manipulated. Right? It's And it's... So I'm watching it, and within the first five minutes, of course, they're trying to get me emotional by showing all of this gang violence or whatnot. And then what they do is they'll come right behind that now that they got the viewer emotional from seeing all of this violence, blood, fights, what goes on in prison. They have the viewer emotional. Then they come in with like these statistics and these facts that these uh, government people are coming in talking about. Of course, they have no idea. Um, because they're not in it. They're from the outside, for one. And for two, again, it's all about stigma, right? This is why I can't stand these shows and these these YouTubers that get out of prison and, and create these convict shows. Um, that's why I, I can't stand them, because, because of the stigma that it puts in there. And so I'm, I'm just sitting here watching it and you know, you, you had this one official that come on there and, and, and he says... One thing that you have to understand about prisoners is that they are in there to be the biggest, baddest, toughest guy in the yard. All of them want to be that guy, the biggest, the baddest on the yard. This is what he said, right? 
and and it's it's just it's just so completely untrue untrue so that's one of the reasons why i stepped up tonight to to make this show because there's a lot of stigma out there about prisons and about bloody beaumont and i'm gonna and i'm gonna also get into how that stigma plays into making these prisons violent bloody beaumont beaumont texas never been to texas so never been to texas don't know anything about it i'm doing my time in mariana which is North Florida, 210-month sentence, 17 and a half years for a first-time nonviolent drug offense with no evidence of anything other than just people testifying to what I had and what I was doing. Another story. So I'm at Mariana. Now, the issue at Mariana started that they started bringing pedophiles on the compound there because they started a program, right? And the federal system is is well known for these programs that they run because they get a lot of money for these programs. So they created a program for pedophilia and they delegated many institutions throughout the nation as holders for these programs. As you know, um, pedophiles are not welcome in prison too well. And they would just release these guys on the compound and we would just run them off the compound as, as fast as they would, they would put them on. So they ended up threatening us with uh, additional time for any harm that comes to these pedophiles because they're running the program, that's the final line. And then they came with a solution that if, if people did not like to be on the compound with these pedophiles, because what the big issue was was on the website, they actually changed the website to a sex offender spot. So if anybody looked you up, your name would show up at an institution that was a sex offender spot. So people wanted to get the hell out of there. So, and I was in, you know, I was one of them. Now at that time, um, I was a, a medium security and I scored out to a low. I was already at Mariana for three years. <clears throat> and I scored out for a low and they had, uh, an actual drive where they were sending people to Miami FCI down in South Florida, which was, I mean, that was the place to be. This place has a lake in the middle of it that you could sit around and feed ducks and stuff. So who doesn't want to do their time there? So this is where everybody was trying to get in. It had free weights. So a couple individuals were put in for the transfers and they scored out to Miami. They hit up for Miami. My fear was I had a newborn child. I had all this time, I had elderly parents, and there was no help. You know, it was pretty much my parents that was, that was my support system. Um, so that was, that was my biggest concern because I had a newborn child, and it was hard enough for these people to drive five hours, and it's a gunshot. You know, it's, it's a crapshoot. So you, you roll the dice, and wherever it lands, that's it. So I went in, I talked to my case manager about it, and he, he assured me that he could get me to Miami. He said, man, I've gotten everybody that I put in, anybody that requested to go to Miami is going to Miami. All my partners <clears throat> that I've been doing you know, the last four or five years with, they're going to Miami. So that's what really essentially made me put it in. So uh, yeah, I said, you know what, let's do it. And he put it in. And that was a long two weeks. You know, my, my parents were stressed because, you know, I'm letting them know, <clears throat> essentially, I, I have no idea where I can go, blah, blah, blah. And then I get the news. So my case manager calls me into the office. And he tells me, well, I got good news and I got bad news. He said, the good news is you got approved for transfer to go to a low. Great. What's the bad news? Bad news is it's not in Florida. It's in Texas. Texas. What do you mean, Texas? This is not what I was expecting at all. You know, so he tells me, yeah, Texas, Texarkana. So I said, I look at him and I say, well, Godwin, I said, you, you assured me that I would get to Miami. I said, you know, I got a newborn. I said, listen, I don't know what you got to do, but you got to get me out of this transfer, you know. And um, he's like, he sat back in his desk. And he's like, you know, there's there's nothing I can do. 
And I stood up out of my chair and I told him, I said, well, there's something I can do. I promise you. I said, I'll jack this low off. I don't care about going to no low. And I said, I'll go to a penitentiary. It doesn't matter to me, Godwin, but you better stop this transfer. You know, and he told me, he said, listen, you can attack me. You can do whatever you want. It's not going to stop the transfer. All that's going to happen is you're still going to go out to Texas. They're going to process the administration out there and you may end up out in California. So he's like, you know, do what you got to do. And that, and, that, and that sat reason with me. And I went, I cooled off. I called my parents. I let them know what the deal was. Of course, everybody was upset. But what can you do? You know? So my transfer comes. I get out, out to, to Texas. You know, it's a long transfer. How the transfer process happens, you know, they come and they wake you up about 3 o'clock in the morning. Tell you to roll your stuff up. You don't know when it's coming. You just can kind of guess when the buses run because you know when they come. So when, when buses come, when people come on the compound the next night, you know buses are rolling out in the morning. Wake me up, bam, go. Now, how this works is I leave Mariana and we get on a bus and we drive to Atlanta on a bus. They shackle us, right? So we're shackled around the waist, handcuffs, black box for violent criminals. And if you're not violent or, or, or have a jacket for a black box, then you're just a loose, loose cuff. And then your feet are shackled and then you got a chain that runs all the way down and then you're shackled to the vehicle. It's ran through a little loop. And we rode like this from, from Mariana to Atlanta is about six hours on this bus, right? So we get to Atlanta they pull in. Atlanta's a, an old Coliseum-type dungeon-looking thing, you know. Um, we go into Atlanta. They pull us down into the dungeons and take our cuffs off, take us off. They put us in a holding tank, feed us uh, uh, bologna and cheese for the day. And then we sit in a holding cell. You know, it could be a, overnight, could be a week, could be two weeks. And while in Atlanta... Right. There's rats everywhere. First and foremost, there's no lockers, but you can order commissary food. Now, if you order the commissary and your bus comes, that's on you. You lose your commissary. So it's just a risk that you take because in Atlanta, it's transit. So buses are running constantly. You're in the middle of a transit. You just don't know how long you're going to be. Me, I'm waiting on a flight, so I'm not waiting on a bus. They're flying me out to Oklahoma City. So I know that I got at least a couple weeks because the plane runs every every couple weeks. So order me some commissary or whatnot. I quickly learn, right? We got rats. So with no lockers, your commissary comes in a brown paper bag. You sit it down on the ground. The rats come up under the door and eat your food. So what you actually have to do is you have to, because on our dinner tray, we'll get some bread. We'll take the bread, roll it up in a little ball or whatnot, and just place them by the door. So the rats will just take the bread and leave your commissary alone for that night. You got to do this every night, you know, um, roaches. I'm deathly afraid of roaches. I do not mess with roaches, you know, so you got to sleep with the lights on, right? Nobody sleeps with the lights off and then that's it. So then they come, they roll me up out of Atlanta, put me on a plane, right? A plane with all of us, uh, Con Air, you know, shackled same way as a bus, only as a plane now. And I was on that plane. They woke us up from Atlanta, 3 o'clock in the morning, got us on the plane. We, we took off, I would say, probably 7, 8 o'clock. And we flew all over, you know, because the plane is just dropping people off, picking people up, dropping people off, flying all over the nation. Con Air flies all over the nation all the time. We don't even know it, right? So a long day. Up and down, up and down. I had a, a migraine. I'm tired of being chained to the seat. You know, you're talking 13, 14 hours probably. Sitting out on the tarmac for an hour or two. You know, just, just baking in the hot sun while they take prisoners off, count them, bring them back on, you know, all of this stuff. So we finally get to Oklahoma City. Now, when you get to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City is an airport in itself. So when you land at Oklahoma City, the jet actually pulls up to the prison. We never touch the ground. It has its own little runway, its tarmac, all of that stuff. 
So we pull up to the little chute. They feed us off the plane. We go into Oklahoma City now. Another transit center. Same thing as Atlanta, but it's it's a little bit more uh, cleaner, you know. Um, same thing. You sit in there all day. Atlanta was locked down. Oklahoma City is not. So Oklahoma City, you can actually come out in the pods, watch a little bit of TV, play spades, play cards. You're just killing the day, just wasting the day waiting to for your you know for your transfer. Finally, from Oklahoma City. I catch a bus. I go to Texarkana. I get to Texarkana. It's a whole different world. Now, it's a low. It's an old prison. Texarkana is from the late 1800s. Very old prison. One of the first prisons established here in America. Uh, Did not like it at all. It was really starting to be my first experience with gangs in that fashion. Now, over here on the East Coast in Florida, things of that nature, yeah, you have gang members. And yeah, you have cliques of gangs. But they don't run the compound. In any kind of fashion for the most part. Because on the East Coast is more just independence. You have more independence on the, on the yards. Um, when you get on the west side of the Mississippi on further. It's an overabundance of gangs. Gangs run the compound. So then that's, and that's you know what Texarkana was. It was my first experience with it. And um, I did not get along with these Texas people at all this texas mentality the the texas ways i just i didn't vibe with it it wasn't my vibe and furthermore i was i was extremely stressed and pissed off because of what just happened to me you know and 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 the ordeal that was going on in my life surrounding my child her mother everything that was transpiring with that um just everything happening at once you know, and I just became, I became very angry, you know, and Texarkana had weights. They also had free weights. So I was taking a lot of that anger out on the free weights and I got pretty big pretty quickly. And this was a Wednesday and in the federal system, Wednesday is hamburger day, right? You get hamburger and French fries. We all look forward to this because it is probably one of the best meals that we get. And it's nothing but just these grade D hamburger meats so the food administrator at bowman at this time was a female blonde chick and um very flirtatious with with the inmates very flirtatious with the guards you know and during meals you know she would be she'd be missing you'd see her coming out of the back with a guard things like that because during meal everybody's up front nobody's in the back there was rumors going around the prison about you know uh, kitchen workers saying about the the relations that she was have that they were having with her back in the kitchen or whatnot, and that, her and I had had several altercations, and this is the reason why I didn't have respect for her, just because of the, her tone and the way that she had talked to me. She talked to me like I was I was dirt, as most COs do, and I just I just didn't appreciate that. And this particular day, the the French fries were minimal; they were baked; they were not fried. The meat was was scarce. I was hungry, and and there was just the, the proportion food that we're supposed to be allowed was not it. And I took it to her, and I and I you know, I say, look, man, you know we're tired of this stuff, man, with these French fries. You know, you know, Thomas free me, man. I just can't keep my mouth shut. So I'm telling, I'm like, man, look at these French fries, man. Like, who eats this stuff? You know, you wouldn't feed this to your child. You wouldn't feed this to your dog. But yeah, you're feeding it to us and you're allowing it to come through, right? So she looked at me and she said, you know what? She said, when you have an overabundance of fries, you don't come up and complain. So go sit down and eat your food. Now, as soon as I start to say something back, I feel somebody, because I got my tray in my right hand. I feel somebody grab my right hand and pull it towards them. And as they pull it towards them, I have no idea who it is because I'm focused on her the lunch line is here and somebody from behind me is grabbing my wrist. So it's happening all at once because as she's saying this, I really want to say something to her. But when he grabbed my wrist and started pulling it, I just lock my elbow, stick my hip out and come with him like this. Right now, it's a, it's a, it's the lieutenant. It's the lunchroom lieutenant. <laughs> he goes flying over my hip. Now. 
again, this is Wednesday and I'm Unicor, which means that I'm, I'm facilities, which means that we're the first ones in the lunchroom, which means that the lunchrooms are slap full. Everybody's in there. This happens in front of everybody. So when he goes flying over, of course, the food goes everywhere. I get in a defensive stance because now all these other COs are starting to come at me. And I just I step back and I tell them, do not put your hands on me, please. Please do not put your hands on me. I go I'll go to the shoe with you, but please do not rough me up. They are they they agreed with me. They just said they had to grab my elbows and walk me to the shoe, but nobody was going to rough me up. And that's what they did. Now, I say all that to paint this story of Beaumont, because that's what this this show is about. I really have to paint the picture, and I know we're probably going to run a little over, but I really have to paint the picture of Beaumont to really understand the schematics of this institution. Because is it bloody Beaumont? It absolutely is. People die there. So, But I didn't know any of this going into it. I didn't even know about Beaumont. When it came up that I was being transferred to a maximum security prison because of what just occurred in the lunchroom, and it came up that I was going to, to Beaumont, that's when it started to be explained to me that I was going to one of the worst prisons in America. Now, there's a select few of prisons scattered throughout the federal system in America where troublemakers are sent to, or when the system wants to punish a particular inmate, or for whatever reason, they sent them to these prisons, Victorville, Beaumont, uh, Big Sandy out in the East Coast. Um, you have several of them. Coleman is, is, a, is a pretty bad penitentiary. So I landed in Beaumont. Now, I'm starting to hear the stories. And not only am I hearing the stories, but when I tell people that I'm being shipped to Beaumont, I hear the, oh, man, damn, you know, and all of this stuff. So the hype feared me because I knew that I'm going into the unknown. I have no idea what I'm going into. So I'm in solitary confinement at Texarkana for about three, three and a half months. Then finally they come and get me. They take me out of Texarkana. They take me to Oklahoma City again. I wait on Oklahoma City on my bus. They put me on a bus and it's a 13-hour bus ride from Oklahoma City to the bottom of Texas, known as Beaumont, right outside, just south of Houston. When I get here, this place it looks it looks like a hospital right in the middle of nowhere it's a huge huge complex and it it just looks like a huge hospital you know just like a huge hospital flat side walls three stories high um cube you know cube like but kind of set in like a like a like a t you know what i mean kind of like this is how the buildings would be set and then each one that branched off is a is a unit and then you have a upstairs and downstairs and then of course you have all the scary gates and stuff but it was just it was just the silence of everybody on the bus um that was just surreal you know because usually people are talking about the prisons or whatnot you'd you'd hear a jab from somebody here or there along the line about you know uh bloody beaumont you know and and, and trying to instill the fear keep the stigma going it's a very intimidating place. So now when, when we get off the bus, shackled, as we're walking through the main gate, you can see, look off to your left, I believe, and there's the rec yard over there, and everybody's out in the rec yard watching. So we go in. It's, it's probably uh, three-ish in the afternoon. We're tired. We've been up all night traveling on this bus, cramped, you know, um, hungry. We get shuffled into this building, intake, and we go through intake. Through this process, we get uh, a one-on-one -on -one with what is called an, uh, an SIS lieutenant, which is, he's a, a, a lieutenant who runs investigations going on the, you know, on the compound. And he comes in and he, he talks to you and he asks you if there's any reason why you cannot be on this compound. Now, I've never been asked this before going into any other institution, but I know what he means. And I'm like, no. I'm good. I went to trial and all of that. He said, listen, he said, this is not the place to play tough guy. He said, if you have anything on your record 
as far as sexual crimes, pedophilia, anything like that, these guys will kill you. This is not the place to play. I told him, man, I'm good. You know, I'm not checking in because that's the alternative. If you don't go out on the compound, you get put in check-in status, protective custody. And that's worse as just as like being a pedophile or a snitch or anything like that. Because one, if you go on there, people know that you're, you're scared. You're a scared individual and you can't come out on a compound. Why? What do you got to be scared of? That's how you looked at it. And that will follow you by every place you go. So that's, that's not where you want to be at. So, no, I'm good. I'm, I'll go out on the compound, you know. So he said, okay. And he told me. He said, um, you know, best of luck to you. Keep your head up. Stay safe. Good advice. So we get, I get my clothes. And about 10, 11 o'clock at night, we're done. We're going through. We're leaving intake. We're going out on the compound. And we're walking across the compound. And... You see everybody's face in the windows, you know, because it's dark outside and the lights from inside, you know, you see people in the, and then I get to my unit finally and I walk into this unit and everybody's standing there. Everybody's along the top tier, sitting around looking to see who comes in. Now I get into this place and right at the front door is five big ass white dudes, right? Big white dudes. Faces all tatted, 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 tatted. Look like turtles. I mean, they tattoo everything. Look like they're looking through a peephole. I find that's comical, but to each of their own, you know? I get it. I understand. One, his whole, the one guy, his, his face was, was covered with a skull or something like that, but that's who came up and talked to me at first, you know? And he's like, uh, where are you at? You know, where are you from? Said, well, I'm from Florida. Said, ah, you're a Florida guy, huh? He said, you know, Texas and Florida don't get along too well. He said, let me ask you something. He goes, are you a Peckerwood? Are you goes are you on that that bullshit Florida time? I knew what he meant by that, you know, and um, and I just told him, I'm on my time. I'm here to do my time, partner, and that's it. So he said, okay, I can respect that. He said, you run with anybody, which means am I affiliated? Am I in a gang or anything like that? I'm like, nah, I'm independent. So he said, okay, that's who you need to speak to over there. So he sent me over to this, to this guy, long hair, hippie type, older. Um, and he was the independent. But I could tell just within 10 minutes of speaking to this guy that he, he wasn't no shot caller or anything like that. He was delegated by the Aryan Brotherhood for speaker for the independence, but the Aryan Brotherhood is who ran this unit. So this was a Friday. Now I get ushered up to the top, to the top tier to meet a, a, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Black, who is proclaimed to be one of the leaders of the ABTs. Now I'm up here and I'm talking to him. He's questioning me about where I'm from. Real cool guy. Cool as cool, cool dude. You know, we're just sitting there talking and this and that. And I'm telling him my story and he tells me, okay. He says, now listen, whatever you see in the morning time, he said, I'm just letting you know, I'm putting you on notice. He said, something's going to happen here in the morning. We got to get somebody out of the unit. So he said, don't even worry about it. But he said, just go ahead and, and make sure we're going to be locked down for a little while. So I'm like, okay, you know, and sure enough, the next morning when I got up, as soon as they crack the doors, we're out there because in the middle they have pods. People go out and they got these little tables, metal tables with the four chairs. We sit, we drink coffee. Of course, everybody wants to know who I am, right? I'm, I'm the talk of the town this morning because I'm the new guy. I'm the big white new guy. So sure enough, sitting here with three guys and I could tell that they were distracted. They really weren't into what I was saying, but they were using me as cover to wait for whoever they were waiting for to come in. So we're just sitting there and we're talking and I could tell that they're distracted, but they're in the conversation somewhat. Sure enough, the dude came in. All three of them get up from the table. They follow him in the cell. They close the door. And about 45 seconds later, the three of them come out covered in blood, went straight to the cells, 
right? I knew to get up from my table, go to my cell, and get ready for lockdown. About 15 minutes later, a cop went around. He started doing his rounds. He looked in the cell, seen the dude in there, got on the radio, hollered lockdown. Now, what happens with lockdown is kind of like what we saw with COVID, right? Everybody goes and runs and grabs toilet paper, as much toilet paper as you can get. We go, there's ice machines. We go, we fill our trash bins with ice. We'll go to the store, man, get some extra snacks and and whatever, and some weed, whatever. You're going to be locked down. You go and get your your supplies for, for lockdown. And this was my experience of walking onto this compound straight into a two-week lockdown. I haven't been locked down like this per se, but I have been in solitary confinement the three months then in Texarkana. So I'm, I'm kind of cool with lockdowns. You know, I, I, I didn't go crazy. But getting into the stigma of it, we hear and see on these TV shows and these convict shows about a lot of rape, a lot of gang violence, things of that nature. And these are true enough. I did see that stuff. I was involved in some of that stuff, not rape, you know, but um, that did occur in in my unit. My experiences from being incarcerated and going through this animalistic environment is everything that occurs to you is brought upon yourself. I cannot express that enough. We put ourselves in 99% of the positions that happen to us in our lives, whether we're conscious to it or not, you know, and these violent things that I witnessed was because of purposes. They were because of reasons. Now, when parents and loved ones watch these convict shows, these shows like the Aryan Brotherhood on, on the, the, the stupid gangland, Right. When they watch these shows, they come to me and they they're crying, they're upset and they're like, oh, my God, is it really like this? It can be. It can be. And the best advice that I can give you is, does your loved one have problems getting along with people? Did he did he have a problem getting along with people in the street? Did he get along with people? Did he not get along with people? Was he always in altercations or did everybody like him? Because it's the same inside a prison. This is what gave me the confidence and the courage to know that I could walk through such a bloody and dark and despicable place unscathed because I had nothing to hide. I I went to trial. I've never ratted on anybody. I've never had no sex charges. I've never been in no deviant behaviors. I've never been involved in anything like that. I'm not a thief. I'm not a liar. I'm a straight up stand up dude. And I'm a convict, right? So I knew that no matter where I was at, these people could put me anywhere in any prison. And if anything was to happen to me, it would be to my own subject. It'd be something that I'd done because while being in prison, state and federal, the only thing that I seen happen to people was people who had done something, right? They'd done something. They'd done something they shouldn't have done. They said something they shouldn't have said. They got involved in something they shouldn't have got involved in. Whether Whatever it is. Whatever it is. And these are the rules that I try to, to display about being a convict when you do your time and going to prison. Because it does not matter where you're at. It's how you do your time. There was many, many times I walked by a cell and out of the corner of my eyes I saw something. But I never went and questioned. I never went and talked to nobody because it had nothing to do with me. But if you're that type of person where you want to go and you want to find out, you want to know, you're playing with fire. Because one, it has nothing to do with you. So why are you questioning it? Why are you asking about it? You know, yes, it exists and it can happen to you. So when I hear these things about these ABs, right? Beaumont is filled with the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas. And Aryan Brotherhood of Texas is a sect of Aryan Brotherhood that was not allowed to create its own, but they did anyhow. So it's, they're kind of branched out and on their own. They live by their own creed. And throughout my bid, I've met an ABT here or there, and I've met many Aryan Brotherhood people. 
Now, I don't agree with their ideology. I don't agree with their thought process. But those are human beings that have to deal with that on their own. That has nothing to do with me. All I care about is how you treat me and how you respect me in my presence. That's all I care about. And, and again, these, are, these were cool dudes. We would bid. We would play softball together and, and whatever, you know. But when they get into numbers and the power shifts, that is when things change. And here at Beaumont, they run the compound. So even though I didn't agree with the ideology, I don't partake in it. I never have. Right. I still had to understand that I was in a dangerous place and I still had to live by their rules. I could not buck their rules. And I I pushed a fine line. Right. I pushed a fine line. Some of the rules are they don't want you over there in front of the black television watching TV with black people. Plain and simple. But I don't like what they watch. They watch country TV and they watch, you know, all kinds of gang stuff. And, and I, that's not my thing. You know, I like a variety of things. So I would go over and I would sit with the black dudes and watch TV. And I was welcome. Right. And I was always welcome. And it was my own people, the white dudes. Were the only ones that ever had a problem with anything that I was doing. So the friction started to, to, to get, you know, um, it broke one night. One night, without me knowing it, because I'm in the cell with a, a captain of the ABs, the ABTs at the time. His, his, uh, his name is Moon. I know his real name, but we'll just stick with Moon. So I didn't notice an issue until some pictures came in of my daughter. I have a biracial daughter. And I kept those under wraps while I was there as much as I possibly could. But... The issue really didn't come until I was opening these pictures on, on mail day and Moon came in the cell and, and seen them over my shoulder. And of course, he he just makes the comment. He pats me on the back. He's like, oh, man, don't worry about that. He goes, man, I got kids from a Mexican. You know, OK, cool. So I fold them up, put them in my locker. Now. I didn't know anything. I didn't sense any tension, anything like that. We went to sleep that night in the bed, got up the next morning. I go to the chow hall and to eat breakfast. He's already there. I look out of the corner of my eye as I'm going through the line and I see all these ABs sitting at the table just looking at me. Right. They're just staring at me and it's not a nice stare. It's it's a it's a heated stare. Right. There's beef in the air and I know it. I know tension by this time. That look shook me because I hadn't, I wasn't expecting it for one. I had no idea what was going on for two. That's the main thing is, is that's what scares us the most is when we don't know what's going on, right? I had no idea what was going on. So my adrenaline kicked into overgear. I get my tray. I go over. I set my tray down because independence sat towards the back of the, the chow hall. So I, I set my tray down and I just go back to the cell. Now, when I get back to the cell... Moon walks in behind me with three other people, three other ABs. Now, cells are small. They got the door blocked, right? Again, I wasn't expecting this. So now I'm in the cell with these four individuals who could easily overpower me, right? I have no idea what they're on. I have no idea what what they have on them. So they're all in there, and Moon tells me I'm to get out of his cell by lunchtime. I tell him, I say, Moon, I say, I have no issues with that partner. I say, but you know what's going on? I said, I'm trying to get out of the cell anyhow. So he told me that I was masturbating on him in the middle of the night. Now, this is one of the, the big no-nos. You don't do that. There's plenty of times for you to do your thing. But when it's in the cell with your celly, you don't do that. It's disrespectful. It's one of the most disrespectful things that you could do, right? Because it's like almost like, F this dude, I'm just going to pull out right here and just do what I do. And that will get you killed quickly, very quickly. Now, when he said that, I automatically knew what was going on in that moment. 
This dude had to create a story. See, gang members cannot attack independence, and independence cannot attack gang members and such without proper notice. There has to be a reason for it because that'll kick off a riot, right? Because what the independents are is we try to stop from gang influence. We try to stop from extortion, things of that nature. So if an independent is being extorted by a gang member, depending on your compound, if you have good, solid independents that are willing to stand up, but you can go to the independents and say, man, listen, this gang is extorting me. I need help. And those independents are supposed to be there for you. So in order for that bond to break, the independents have to write you off. They have to green light you, which means that you have to be some sort of atrocity that they don't want to deal with. A pedophile, they find out you're a rat, anything like that where they say, I'm not, I don't have that dude's back. That dude's a piece of shit. So the only thing, because by this time I'm kind of known on the compound as a cool dude. I get along with everybody. I've gotten along with everybody my whole bid, right? So in order for them to break that bond with the independents, they had to come with something egregious like this here. And that's what he did. He was spreading around on the compound that I was masturbating on him and that I had a green light on me. So I think what ultimately saved me that day, right, because I put Moon on the spot. I asked Moon. I say, Moon, if you knew I was jacking off on you last night, why didn't you say something to me while we were in the cell together? Why would you come back with these dudes? Why would you... Let me finish if that's the thing. So you mean you were just laying down there and just knew that I was masturbating and you let me finish? That's not, that don't sound right, partner. So when I said that, it, it, it confused the other three enough to make them kind of question. So it, it told me that Moon was telling these people that wasn't the truth. He was lying on me. So he told me that he should be stabbing me right now. But... He's going home. See, Moon had just came from doing state 10 years. And when you're a gang member in the state level in Texas, you do all your time in solitary confinement. So these people are being released out of decades of solitary confinement to being released onto a compound. Right. And this is why Bloody Beaumont is the way that it is, because you have these individuals that are being released from state prison coming onto this compound open willy. It's like you're being released from prison. You know, it's the same concept. You're being released from prison, even though that you're still in prison, but you're reconnecting with a lot of your homeboys. You're out. So this is the type of environment that Beaumont creates. Now, there's drugs rampant. You can tell when heroin hits the compounds because you see little papers all over the compound. You see people starting to check in because they owe money from from borrowing money to get heroin. But when that happens, you start to see Violence accrue. Violence starts to grow. Now, as far as the stigmatic view about Beaumont, because Beaumont has the reputation that it does now as to being bloody Beaumont and, and all, of, all of the stigma that lies behind that, these inmates try to uphold that. They want that fear. They love it. They love knowing because it helps them in their extortion plots, right? Because now... Fear is half the battle. They don't even have to try to scare these people. They're already scared out of their mind hitting the compound. All they got to do is step to them. Extort them, get them, recruit them, get them to come into their gang, things of that nature. But for the most part, these dudes were cowards. Most of them were just shot out, burned out meth heads that were scared to be imprisoned by themselves. And needed protection. Very few. Very few. There was a dude named Irish. There was a dude, an AB named Irish, that um, you could just tell was a dude you didn't want to play with. He was serious. There was a couple of them like that, that you knew. But these were cool dudes. They were passive. They didn't even want to be involved in none of this stuff. Like Irish would say, like, man, all this shit that's going on the compound is bullshit now. I don't even want nothing to do with none of it. You know, if there's a race riot, you come, you get me, and we'll handle it then. But other than that, leave me the fuck out of this bullshit. This is what Irish would say. 
And a lot of the older members would say the same thing because these newer members, it's all about just drugs. It's just about getting high. It's about generating money to get high. It's just a bunch of junkies. So is Beaumont bloody? Yes, it is. Is it scary? Yes, it is. Can bad things happen to you? Yes, they can. Can that happen to you leaving your house? Yes, they can. At the end of the day, it does not matter where you're at. It's who you are, how you make your decisions, and how you decide to walk through life. You know, if you decide to lie and cheat, it's going to catch up to you. And you got what's coming to you. If you decide to to do anything outside of, of what is called normal, what is viewed as normal, you start getting into deviant things, bad things are going to happen to you. You know, you can't expect to go in and mess with the gay people per se and try to hide that you're not gay because one, those gay people are going to expose you. And for two, when they do expose you, then other people are going to want some of you because they know you're gay. And even though that you're trying to to not admit it, hide it, you, you sneak off to the gay dude's room, you know, during lunch, things like that. It's going to come back on you. There's no secrets in prison. That's the bottom line. Prison's going to know who you are. It's going to expose who you are to the core, you know. And I think that's why I came kind of through unscathed and I'm, and I'm confident in who I am today because I walk through like a man and people recognize me as a man. And that's how I carry myself today. This is why I don't play too much. This is why I'm always serious because I've been in situations where seeing people play can, can go a different way, you know, go a different way. Not all, not, not every day is playtime. That's all I have. You know, I, I really want the listener to walk away with understanding that we hear the stigma of prison. We hear how gory, how bloody it is, how horrible it is. And all of it is true. But at the end of the day, just like how we got the prison, our decisions and how we handle ourselves in situations is what guides us through. True enough. To swim with sharks, you have to be a shark. True enough. I had to become a shark. I had to partake in the, the, the lifestyle and the environment. I had to give my blood, sweat, and tears to that compound because that's what that compound has formed itself to be. And you have to put your drop in the hat. You have to either way. You either have to shed it or you have to give it. So it's, it's one or the other. So it's, it's, it's almost like going into a gang, blood in, blood out. You know, there, there's expectations of you to give going into this gang, you know, and, and it's the same as, as prison. There's expectations of you. Uh, that's all I got, man. I, I know I ran over. I got into a little story time, but um, it's, it's no matter how I try to explain it, no matter how I try to bring it out, no matter how I try to paint the picture for you, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's like a it's like a slave trying to get somebody to understand slavery, a Holocaust victim trying to get somebody to understand a concentration camp. It's impossible. We'll get empathy, maybe a slight understanding, but you cannot understand unless you've been in through some action like that. What it's like just to sit there eating popcorn, watching a movie, and then have somebody's blood next to you sprayed all over you. Out of the blue. And then you can't, you can't show like inside you, ah, you want to scream, but you can't. Because when you do that, you're viewed upon like, what the hell? The hell's wrong with that dude? What the hell are you screaming about? You ain't never seen no blood before? And then people start to know that you're soft, you know, you can never give the inclination that what you saw is something that you would go to the police about because they'll kill you. You have to be a convict. You have to, what the hell, man, you know, and go, go take a shower, wash it off and get ready for lockdown. And that's it, you know. So. I hope that you guys 
uh, you know, enjoyed the show. Uh, I don't like to talk about this stuff too much. It is Halloween, so I figured I would bring this out. Um, but it's it's these shows, man. It's these shows. I sit here and I watch these shows, and they're just so off. They're so wrong. They're so filled with manipulation, brainwashing, stigma, that I just had to come and, and talk about the gory stuff, which, you know, I didn't get too much into that stuff. But it's triggers for me. You have to understand that, you know. These other guys, they can get up on these shows and they can talk about it because they weren't in it. There's stories that they've heard, they watch from their cell, something of that nature. For me, this stuff is, is triggering, you know, so I have to tread lightly with it. But um, it is. It is a bloody Beaumont. They do need to do something about it. Again, two deaths already this year. Uh, the one that I just showed you, the importance of that, the dude had three years. I just did a show a couple nights ago where I said this could be your brother, your mother, your father, your sister, whoever, your child that could just go to prison, catch a two to three year prison sentence, two to three year prison sentence and end up dead in this institution. I don't see how anybody doesn't think that needs to change. I mean, yeah, my son, my child made a mistake, got involved in some stuff they didn't do. I pray they go to prison and learn their lesson and come home and be productive. And then you get a call. Yeah, sorry, your, your son didn't make it. We found him dead in his cell today. What do you mean you found him dead in the cell? He had a three-year sentence. Sorry, he got into a fight with an old, you know, another inmate and the other inmate killed him. This is the life. Stay out of prison. Until then, you guys take care, man. Stay safe. Stay blessed. Stay out of your emotions. Think critically. And just uh, let's make change, man. Visit www.cominghomecoalition.com. See everything that I got going on and how you can support. Um, support is needed to keep this channel going. If you do like these messages, please make sure to like, subscribe, share. Just like that. Thank you so much. Until the next time, Tuesday night, I'm out.